Welcome to the America's Workforce Radio Podcast, the flagship production of the American Workers Radio and Podcast Network, where organized labor and its never-ending fight to protect the rights of the American worker come first. Now, presented by LIUNA, Laborers International Union of North America, here's your host, Ed Flash Ferens. Southwest flight attendants vote overwhelmingly again to go on strike. A union win for nurses in Maine, a big union endorsement for President Biden. And today on the show, the government affairs director of the AFL-CIO and machinists on strike at an Ohio truck dealership. We'll tell you why. Welcome to the Thursday, January 25th edition of America's Workforce, where we are available on at least five platforms. That includes Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, and Pandora. Many ways that you can access America's Workforce. AWFpodcast.com is our website. Bill Samuel is going to be our first guest on the show today. Longtime contributor to the show. He serves as Government Affairs Director of the AFL-CIO, AFLCIO.org is the national website. A couple things we're going to get into. Another shutdown averted. Bill's been on this subject for a long time now. Again, they're just kicking the can down the road. The next shutdown is scheduled for uh, for March. He'll give us the, uh, the dates on that. Meanwhile, there's negotiations going on over uh, supplemental aid for Ukraine and the border. The word is that many of the hard right Republicans don't want to deal with the border right now because if something happens, then that would be a win for Biden. Bill will talk about that. We're also going to get into those uh, union density numbers that I talked about on the show yesterday. Union membership rate in America, that's the uh, percent of wage and salary workers who are members of unions, was 10.0% last year. Slight drop from 10.1% in 2023. So very little change, but uh, there were more workers in the workforce, about 135,000. And altogether, we have 14.4 million union brothers and sisters working in the United States in America. 31 states and the District of Columbia had union membership rates below the U.S. average of 10%, 19 states had rates above it. All states in both the East, South, Central, and West, South, Central divisions had union membership rates below the national average, while all states in both the Middle Atlantic and Pacific divisions had rates above it. And listen to this. In 2023, about 29%, 29% of the 14.4 million union members lived in just two states, California and New York. Now, the uh, the other thing we're going to get into uh, with uh, Bill, and I caught this just the other day on one of my news feeds, Bernie Sanders and a group of uh, Democrats have introduced what they call the Tax Excessive CEO Pay Act which seeks to raise taxes on companies that pay their highest paid executives at least 50 times more than what they pay their typical worker. Now, according to Bernie, Bernie Sanders, 
The act is projected to raise about $150 billion over 10 years and seeks to mitigate the growing wage disparities between corporate executives and workers. And the bill has has the endorsement of the AFL-CIO, the Teamsters, the service employees, and a number of other unions. So we'll see what happens. Great idea, though. Great idea. So Bill Samuel will be our first guest later in the show. We're going to check in with Robert Towsley. Robert is a business rep with Machinist Local 1363, which is based in Cleveland, Ohio. And his members, about 24 of them, have been on strike. They went on strike in the middle of December, not necessarily for wages. They are trying to protect their retirement benefit. Apparently, the company wants to eliminate the current benefit and replace that with a company 401k match and a cap. And that's the problem right there. Because right now, the way it stands, they lose about half of their pensions from what I've been reading on this. It's a bit complicated, and the workers are picketing out front of Valley Ford Truck in Valley View, Ohio. They've been on strike, I said, since, uh, let's see, December 18th is when they started picketing. And this has also got the attention of uh, Senator Sherrod Brown. See, of course, big union guy supporting the workers. So uh, Robert is going to explain what's going on there. Apparently, they have some uh, mediation talks going on, and we'll get an update on that from Robert. Now, a brief look into the world of labor. This segment brought to you by Boyd Watterson Asset Management. You can find more at boydwatterson.com. Southwest Airline Company flight attendants representing about 21,000 members. That union's based in uh, in Texas, and it's a transport workers union, and they represent all the attendants. In fact, we had Lynn Montgomery on the show a number of times talking about the situation at Southwest. Well, 98%. Yeah, I'd say that's overwhelming. They, uh, that's what they voted to grant leaders the authority to call a strike if the federal mediation talks fail. Now, the vote is in accordance with the Railway Labor Act, and it allows for a potential walkout after, after a multi-phase process outlined by the National Mediation Board goes its course. The move follows similar authorizations by unions representing Southwest pilots and American Airlines flight attendants. So we'll keep our eye on that one. Let's go to uh, Germany now, where the German Train Drivers Union announced a six-day strike to demand better pay and working hours from Deutsche Bahn. Now, Deutsche Bahn is the state-owned railway operator. The, uh, The union's action has ramped up in recent months with a three-day strike at the beginning of the year and two 24-hour warning strikes late last year. Now, they're seeking a reduction in working hours from 38 to 35 hours per week, and they want more money. Deutsche Bahn responded to the strikes by seeking but failing to secure court injunctions. Last Friday, the railway operator presented an offer which included up to a 13% wage increase and the possibility of a 37-hour week. So they just shaved an hour off. Union said, no, we're not, uh, not going to go there. The strike, by the way, will be the longest in the company's history and stands to cost the sector 30 million euros a day. 
I don't know what euros are going for, so you can look that up. 30 million euros. That's a day. Registered nurses at Northern Maine Medical Center, this would be in Fort Kent, Maine, have voted overwhelmingly, 62%, in favor of joining the Maine State Nurses Association, which is part of National Nurses United. Brad Martinez, an RN, said, We are thrilled that our co-workers voted yes to join Maine State Nurses Association together. We share a vision of improving the level of care our families receive in our hospital. Nurses at the facility, this is only a 40-bed facility, say they voted to join their new union because it is critical that nurses have a say in decisions about patient care and about recruitment and retention, which leads to improve patient care. Tiffany Daigle, another RN, Tiffany works in the emergency room, Tiffany said, we look forward to sitting down with our hospital administrators to bargain our first contract to ensure that our patients receive the care they deserve. We care about the community. That's why we voted to join the union. So as a result of the vote, there are 90 nurses at the Northern Maine Medical Center that voted in favor of the union. President Biden received a key 2024 endorsement yesterday from the United Auto Workers. Sean Fain announced the UAW support for Biden's reelection bid at their biannual conference in Washington. This is what he said. I know there's some people that want to ignore this election. They don't want to have anything to do with politics. Other people want to argue endlessly about the latest headline or scandal or stupid quote. Elections aren't just about taking your best friend for the job or the candidate who makes you feel good. Elections are about power. Boy, he's right about that. He went on to say the question is, who do we want in that office to give us the best shot of winning? Who gives us the best shot of organizing? Who gives us the best shot of negotiating strong contracts? Also, who gives us the best shot of uniting the working class and winning our fair share once again? And that guy is Joe Biden. So Fain cast the 2024 race as a choice between Biden and Trump and didn't mince words in his criticism of the former president. He specifically took issue with Trump's handling of the union's 2019 strike, arguing that Trump didn't do a damn thing while UAW members confronted General Motors at plants across the U.S. Fain went on to say Donald Trump is a scab. Donald Trump is a billionaire, and that's who he represents. If Donald Trump ever worked in an auto plant, he wouldn't be a UAW member. He'd be a company man trying to squeeze the American worker. Now, you may remember last year, President Biden joined UAW members striking against General Motors, Ford, and Stellantis on the picket line in a historic show of support for workers amid their contract talks with the auto giants for better wages and conditions. And Fain said, if our endorsements must be earned, Joe Biden has earned it. All right, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, Bill Samuel on behalf of the AFL-CIO. You're listening to America's Workforce with Ed Flash Ferrans. It takes Lyuna to build North America's infrastructure. 
From roads and bridges to schools and skyscrapers, the men and women of Lyuna, the Laborers International Union of North America, build the projects we depend on. From constructing the Freedom Tower on the site of the former World Trade Center to untangling Washington, D.C.'s congested interstate, Lyuna members do the work that matters. Find out what it takes to be built by Lyuna at lyuna.org. That's L-I-U-N-A dot org. The Ironworkers Great Lakes District Council, consisting of eight ironworker local unions in West Virginia, Pennsylvania, Ohio, and Michigan. We build the skylights and bridges along the Great Lakes. With more work than ever before, the Great Lakes District Council is actively searching out the next great ironworker. Whether it's building the next Intel plant or constructing a bridge to safely connect our great cities along the lake. So join the Ironworkers Great Lakes District Council today. Find out how and learn more about the council by visiting IWDistrictCouncil.com. Hey, this is Sean McGarvey, and I'm president of North America's Building Trades Unions, and I'm a proud listener of America's Workforce. I love this podcast. America's Workforce is brought to you in part by the Communication Workers of America. You can find more at CWA-Union.org. America's Workforce Radio is sponsored in part by the International Union of Painters and Allied Trades, District Council 6, representing painters, glazers, drywall finishers, and signing display industry workers. They remind you that belonging to a union is your right as an American. America's Workforce is brought to you in part by the United Auto Workers. Find more at UAW.org. America's Workforce is sponsored in part by Boyd Watterson Asset Management, LLC. Find out more about our investment solutions tailored to meet the needs of Taft-Hartley funds at BoydWatterson.com. America's Workforce is brought to you in part by the Heat and Frost Insulators Labor Management Cooperative Trust. Find out more at insulators.org forward slash LMCT. Now, back to America's Workforce. Here's Ed Flash Ferens. And remember, you can check us out on Facebook or follow us on X, formerly known as Twitter. That would be a WF Union podcast. By the way, this next segment brought to you in part by the Ohio Federation of Teachers. You can find more at oh.aft.org. Let's go to Washington right now. Welcome one of our longtime contributors to America's Workforce, Mr. Bill Samuel, who serves as Government Affairs Director of the AFL-CIO National Website, aflcio.org. And if you've been listening to Bill last couple of months, it's it's like a broken record. And that's, I'm really dating myself when I say that, broken record. But we've always <laughs> been talking about these government shutdowns, and they seem to be kicking the can down the road. And here they do it again. Bill, welcome back to uh, to the show. And uh, what, what what are the new dates here for the shutdown? What do we have? Well, well th- thank you. And you've already you've stolen all my lines. It is a broken record, and they are kicking the can down the road. Uh, <laughs> you know, the fiscal year ends September 30. So that was how many months ago? Uh, four months ago. Um, they're supposed to have a, a funding bill in place for the entire, you know, for the next 12 months. They, they didn't reach that. They didn't meet that deadline. They passed what they call a continuing resolution through, I think, November 17th. They didn't make that deadline. They passed another one through uh, January 19th. Uh, they didn't make that one, so that was that's just a couple of weeks ago. And so they've bought themselves another 40 days. They averted a shutdown for the third time. Uh, and basically, they're continuing to fund the government at current levels. So that's really last year's levels. Um, so although we've managed to, you know, uh, uh, save save the jobs for another 40 days and the 
federal jobs and all those who rely on a federal paycheck. Um, but they're not, you know, there's not enough money in circulation right now to keep the government operating at the level it needs to. You know, they, there are pay raises, there's inflationary adjustments, there's increases in workload, uh, and none of that's being uh, accounted for in these continuing appropriation resolutions. But in any case, they, the next deadline is March 1st. Uh, I think what we've seen, though, is that the Republican majority in the House really doesn't want to shut down the government. They don't want to fund it properly, but they don't want to shut it down. So that's why we're hobbling along from what they call CR, continuing resolution to continuing resolution. They're not passing new funding bills. They're just sort of putting a Band-Aid on it. And I think that's what we'll see again in March. Democrats are going along because they really don't want to shut down. Um, and if there was one, I think Republicans would be blamed for it. Um, but I think we'll, we, I don't know that we'll see another year. You know, I don't think we'll fund the government till the end of this fiscal year, which would be September 30, come March 1st. But we'll see. Maybe they'll get a deal. They, they have a top-line funding deal. Like, they know how much they want to spend all, com, uh, totally, which is like about $1.7 But they can't figure out how to allocate it among the various programs. And that's, what's, that's what they're stuck on right now. Bill, I'm really glad the way you frame this uh, this debate that's going on in Washington because people don't understand what the shutdown is going to do to so many people. And and I know one of the big unions, American Federation of Government Employees, there's a good example there. A lot of them have to work, but they're not actually getting paid, but they're told to work because they, they have to. Is that pretty much the case then? That's right. So there's 2 million federal employees, I and mean, everything from air traffic controllers to uh, border agents to working at uh, Health and Human Services on Medicare and Medicaid, uh, agriculture. I mean, these are these are public servants. They don't get paid a lot. They're pretty steady jobs, and they're paid, you know, from uh, from our taxes. Um, if they're considered essential, so if they're in law enforcement, as I mentioned, air traffic controllers, uh, they have to go to work by law. And if, mm-hmm. and if there's no funding bill uh, passed by Congress, they don't get paid. Now, they, in the past, we've had shutdowns before. Under Trump, we had a 35-day shutdown. Those workers got paid retroactively. Um, so they, they work without getting paid. And I will say the reason the last shutdown ended, uh, frankly, was that the air traffic controllers started calling in sick. They said, I'm not, we're not working without pay. You know, fine that I'll get paid retroactively whenever you settle this dispute, but I got rent to pay and I got to buy food. Mm-hmm. Um, so they so they started calling in sick as a kind of a protest um, or maybe because they had to pick up other employment. Uh, so the shutdown ended pretty quickly. You know, once, once, air, once uh, airline traffic got snarled, uh, the Congress came to its senses. So we haven't had a shutdown since Trump, uh, that 35-day shutdown. Um, but it's it's dangerous. Um, all the services basically stop. Forget you know signing up for Social Security. Uh, you know that even simple things like going to a national park, those close. Um, you know healthcare isn't provided, education benefits, all that all that grinds to a halt. And that's when the public, you know, so realizes what the federal government is for and what it does and how much they depend on it. The rest of the year, they complain about it, <laughs> or at least mm-hmm. Republicans. Um, anyway, so that's that's what's at stake here. Uh, by the way, there's hundreds of thousands of people who don't get uh, paid retroactively because they work for government contractors. So if the government contractor doesn't get paid, they don't pay their workers. So if they if you work in security in a federal building or food service or you know a concession at a national park, you may not get paid back. Mm-hmm. You go without pay, and then you're not paid back when the government reopens. 
Bill, I'm so glad that you pointed that out because it's important that people know what exactly happens to the worker, to the worker when the government shuts down. It's important because that point is not covered necessarily by the mainstream media, and that's why we bring it up on the show here. Let's go back to uh, the new guy here, Mike Johnson, and I know he does not have a good labor record. We talked about that in previous shows, but what I'm hearing Some Democrats might side with him as opposed to siding with Kevin McCarthy, who's long gone. And also, I mean, this this is kind of a complicated question here, but I I know you'll have an answer to it. It's uh, there's a lot on the far right that don't want anything to happen, especially with the border, because that would be that would be classified as a win for Biden. So uh, can you unwind all of that for our listeners? <laughs> yeah, I mean, the politics are very complicated. Mike Johnson is the Speaker of the House by two votes. So that's the, the Republicans right now have a two-vote majority. They all voted for him unanimously uh, after rejecting, I think, five, I think it was five candidates for Speaker after they tossed Kevin McCarthy out. So he's on very thin ice. And there's, you know, the conservative Freedom Caucus, those are the real right wing uh, Republicans, Matt Gates, Marjorie Taylor Greene, you know, some of those names, Lauren Boebert. Um, they threaten him every day. Now you cross this line and we're going to do to you what we did to Kevin McCarthy. So he doesn't, he's, and he has not shown himself to be all that adept at keeping his caucus together. So they, they're kind of paralyzed, which is why all they can do is pass these you know, 30-day extensions of current funding. They can't actually pass a real bill funding the government for a full year. Democrats kind of sit by and watch. There's not not much they can do the way the House works. The Speaker runs the place. He he or she decides what gets to the House floor on, and under what conditions, you know, what, what the rules are. Um, so McCarthy is, you know, he's uh, he he's running a very dysfunctional, Operation, and when you mentioned Democrats might bail him out, if 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 a few right wing Republicans make a move on him, like they did with Kevin McCarthy, and try to throw him out, there may be a few Democrats who provide the extra votes he needs, the 218 votes, to stay as Speaker, because Democrats don't really benefit by not having a Speaker. Um, and if he's willing to cooperate, they might exact some things in exchange, <laughs> kind of a power-sharing agreement that you hear a little bit about that, uh, you know, whispered in the halls, Democrats will save his <laughs> his butt uh, if he agrees to some power-sharing agreement. Um, but that's kind of speculative right now. We don't know if that will happen. We don't know if Republicans will move on him or not. But they're certainly not cooperating at this point. So this border situation, then, if, if, if everything stays the same, nothing's going to get done probably then, and as far as legislation goes. Yeah, and the border's a whole nother problem. Um, you know, President Biden really wants to continue to provide aid to Ukraine and Israel uh, and money for the border. He doesn't want to make permanent immigration law changes, but he wants to provide extra money for border uh, security. And Republicans are saying in exchange for Ukraine and Israel, which they don't seem to care much about, they not only want money for the border, they want permanent changes in our immigration laws. They want to they want to ratchet down on asylum and parole and all the things that the president has to try to have an orderly immigration system, a humanitarian uh, immigration system. Uh, they're, so they're demanding, you know, in exchange for money for Ukraine, uh, permanent changes in immigration policy. Uh, and the president and most Democrats are saying, uh-uh, we'll fund the border, we'll, we'll get you more border agents, 
uh, we'll, we'll, we'll have a more secure border. But we're not going to make permanent changes uh, in, in the law that allows refugees to come into the U.S. to seek an asylum, those sorts of things that we support, by the way. The labor movement has always supported a humane border uh, and immigration policy. So they're, they're stuck on that, too. So nothing's happening. I mean, as you said at the, at the beginning, um, we're pretty much at a stalemate, and we're kicking the can down the road on everything, although I think the, this, this money for Ukraine and Israel is very much uh, in question right now, and that'll have consequences well beyond our borders. Well, there's this America first attitude out there, and they don't give a damn about it, anything else going on in the world, which is, which is sad, especially when you take a look at what happened you know, post-World War II. But this this uh, migrant situation, though, I, I know it's it's really off the charts here. In your opinion, what's going on here? I mean, what, why is it so crazy right now? Is it because of, and this is my thought, maybe you could uh, give me your opinion here, is it because the, the where they're living, the governments that they're in, they're, they're repressive, they're, they're, I mean, I'm hearing horror stories, especially in Central and South America, and they just want to get out of their countries? Is that part of the problem right now? Yeah, I mean, there's oppression, there's poverty. I mean, everything from, you know, right-wing governments to climate change. You know, they're having a difficulty, you know, feeding themselves, you know, and taking care of the basic necessities in some of these countries. And so they are going north to where they think there might be jobs. And, you know, frankly, we do have jobs in the U.S. We've got very low unemployment. There's more jobs available than there are people. Um, but there's a, you know, there's a lot of Americans who don't want foreigners coming in. There's just this fear of foreigners, or has been for, you know, decades. It's not a new thing. And we don't have a very orderly system. We don't have enough people uh, uh, judging asylum claims, people uh, coming uh, you know, who have actual claims to seek asylum here because they're, they're, they've been, their lives have been threatened uh, back home. We have a system for taking those people in. We always have, um, you know, ever since the, uh, you know, World War II and before, even before that. Um, so there are more people coming in, uh, and we don't have an organized way right now to deal with that. I think we can absorb those people. We're, you know, we are talking about hundreds of thousands, but this is a workforce of 130 million. Um, but Republicans are just kind of, they want to build a wall. <laughs> I'm sure you've heard that. And so they want yep. to keep them out. And Democrats mm -hmm. aren't willing to do that. Bill Samuel, Government Affairs Director of the AFL-CIO, AFLCIO.org. More to come. We're going to talk about those union density numbers and a proposal by Bernie Sanders. Really interesting involving CEO pay and how that's tied into workers in America. Later in the show, we're going to check in with uh, one of the business agents at Machinist Local 1363. We've got about two dozen brothers and sisters in Valley View, Ohio, on strike against a truck plant, and he'll explain why. Back in a few minutes. This is America's Workforce. More shows available at awfradio.com. It takes Lyuna to power North America with affordable energy. The men and women of Lyuna, the Laborers International Union of North America, have the skills needed to build and maintain oil, natural gas, nuclear, solar, and wind projects that are shaping America's energy future. From new energy tech to retrofitted facilities, Lyuna members do it all. Find out what it takes to be powered by Lyuna at lyuna.org. That's L-I-U-N-A dot org. 
We're the nurses, firefighters, and claims representatives that help keep our government services running. We respond to natural disasters. We care for our nation's veterans. And we investigate discrimination in the workplace. We are federal and D.C. government workers. And we are proud to serve the American people. Working in more than 70 agencies across the government, we know we can fulfill our mission because our union has our back. Learn more at AFGE. Paid for by the American Federation of Government Employees, AFL-CIO. This portion of the show brought to you by the International Union of Bricklayers and Allied Craft Workers. For more information, please visit BACWeb.org. There is unity and strength for workers. We are the USW. We are the USW. The United United Steelworkers. The largest industrial union in North America. We represent 850,000 members in In the the U.S., Canada, and the the Caribbean. Caribbean. We work in metals, rubber, chemicals, paper, oil refining, atomic energy, and the service sector. We are steelworkers, standing strong and fighting for what's right. America's Workforce is brought to you in part by the International Federation of Professional and Technical Engineers. You can find more at ifpte.org. This segment of America's Workforce is brought to you by Survey and Ballot Systems. SBS has been providing unions with secure and flexible election options for over 30 years. Visit surveyandballotsystems.com to learn more. America's Workforce is brought to you in part by the International Brotherhood of Teamsters, where you can find more at teamster.org. Now, back to Ed Flash Ferrance with America's Workforce. And remember, you can check us out on at least five platforms. That includes Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, and Pandora. And when you get an opportunity, here's what you do. Just sign up and receive our shows on a regular basis and give us a rating. We always appreciate it. Those five-star ratings. By the way, this next segment brought to you in part by the United Labor Agency, ulagency.org is their website. Let's uh, rejoin Bill Samuel on behalf of the AFL-CIO, where he serves as Government Affairs Director, national website, aflcio.org. All right, talk to me about this uh, proposal from, I guess, a couple of Democrats, and Bernie Sanders is leading the charge. They've introduced the... Tax Excessive CEO Pay Act. All right. And I guess the AFL-CIO and a couple of unions, including the Teamsters and uh, SEIU, are endorsing it. So, Bill, this is all yours. What's going to happen here if this passes? Yeah, well, I'm not sure it will pass, you know, anytime soon. Republicans aren't really enamored of this idea that we ought to be taxing CEOs who are getting outlandish salaries, and that's the point here. And, you know, we put out a report every year called um, CEO Pay Watch, and we, uh, to illustrate really for the public, uh, the huge discrepancy in what CEO pay uh, has has become in relation to median worker pay. Uh, so, for example, uh, look at Under Armour. We all know the company Under Armour makes clothing. Uh, mm-hmm. Their CEO makes 272 times uh, the amount that the, that the median uh, worker salary is at that company. Uh, the CEO makes uh, something like, I don't know, $9 million. Um, and the average worker makes about, I don't know, a few, you know, 12,000, something like that. I don't have the numbers directly uh, in front of me. Coca-Cola, uh, the uh, CEO pay ratio to the median worker uh, is 1,883 to 1. So the median across the economy is about 272 times 
CEO pay versus median pay. But some of these companies, it's in the, you know, as I said, Coca-Cola, it's 1,800 times the median salary. So Bernie Sanders and a number of Democrats said we should tax those excessive pay uh, uh, scales um, and, you know, raise their taxes to try to encourage them or discourage them from having these huge compensation packages. Uh, by and large, these are non-union companies because you know, if we, were, if we were bargaining like they did at the oil workers, uh, we could force them to uh, share some of those profits a little more evenly. But Sanders' idea and a bunch of Democrats, and we support this, is we're going to tax them. So I'm not sure Republicans will take this up, and, but they should. And this, this is a problem that's been growing for, you know, decades now. Um, it's really the, the, the gulf between what CEOs are paying themselves and what they're paying their workers is, is uh, obscene. It, you know, as I said, the average is 270 times, but it can be as high as 1,800 times for some of these corporations. And from what I'm reading here, it, it's not what you call an excessive tax. Uh, I guess the proposal that Bernie put forward would be a tax penalty of 0.5%, so a half percent, half percent. And that's for executives that uh, pay their top well, companies that pay their executives between 50 and 100 times more than their typical workers. Now, Bernie says this would raise about $150 billion over 10 years. Are, are you are you pretty much I in I think those numbers sound that? right. Yeah, those numbers sound right. Um, we could certainly use the, the revenue. You know, again, these, these companies, they act like they're all self-made men and women, and, you know, their taxes are too high. You know, they're depending on the same education system and security, law enforcement, uh, health care, education, all that, that everybody else does. So this idea that, uh, you know, they've made, they've made themselves and they can keep all the profits and, and not, uh, not help pay back this country for what they've been uh, afforded is, is ludicrous. Um, so, yeah, I think it's a fair deal. As you said, it's not a lot. It would raise a lot of money because the system is so out of whack. Um, it, it, in some ways, it's symbolic. Uh, listen, if you're making $11 million, uh, you know, uh, annually or $20 million, paying a 0.5% excise tax on that, you're not going to notice it. Um, mm-hmm. But maybe it'll send a signal that we ought to get but this, this system ought to change and we ought to be sharing a little more of what these top income earners are making with their workers. Now, now it does go up if it's excessive, like 500 times. I mentioned the half percent. That's for uh, executives between 50 and 100 times that of the typical worker. If it's 500 times, then the penalty goes up to 5%. So yeah. we'll see what happens. Yeah. It, it's, 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 it's an interesting idea. I'll, I'll grant it that. Is. I'll, it is. All right, let, let's talk about union density numbers. These came out a couple of days ago on behalf of the Labor Department. And maybe, you know what I'd like to get your opinion on is how they calculate this. Because uh, from, from I guess it's a sample survey of households. And I, I, I'm seeing the number of only 60,000 households. Yeah, it is they... a sample. I mean, I think, you know, I'm not a statistician. I think they're pretty confident that the numbers are right. There's no reporting, uh, uh, you know, mechanism so that they could they would know precisely um, how many union members there are and how many you know what the change is year over year but based on the survey I think they believe there's some scientific accuracy here it's you know again I'm not a statistician but they're pretty confident um, and it's a mixed picture this year um, we added this about 261,000 new private sector union members that's good um, uh, you know we have about 12 million but and we need to 
Obviously, that number needs to grow. Um, but we lost some in the public sector, states like Florida, Texas, where they're, um, they're, they're, the Republican governors are pushing back on public sector employment and union rights. So we've lost about 70,000 public sector workers. And again, these, are, these aren't precisely uh, accurate, but they're based on surveys and, um, and what statisticians would say are you know, scientifically accurate. So the net increase... Uh, last year was 191,000 new union members. Now I say it's a mixed picture because that is an increase. And when you think of, you know, when you consider the fact that the law hasn't changed, it's no easier to organize now than it was, uh, you know, five years ago when Trump was, uh, three years ago when Trump was president. Um, and there are a lot more jobs. Uh, Biden has succeeded in uh, bringing in a, almost three million. Uh, I'm sorry, almost, um, yeah, about three million new jobs. Uh, so that the density uh, is down. So in other words, the number mm-hmm. of union members, you know, c- compared to the total workforce is down a little bit. I think it went from 10.1% to 10% of the workforce is unionized. But that's because the workforce is growing and we're not keeping up with it. And the yeah. final thing I'll say is uh, the law is still the law. Uh, you know, there are still companies spending, you know, millions of dollars annually on union busting consultants still hard to win a union election. There are more people who want to join unions. Union approval numbers are higher than they've been in decades, but it's still hard to organize and win an election when you're fighting a Starbucks or an Amazon or, you know, we know the stories you've talked about them. Um, so the numbers are up. The pushback is as hard as ever, and the economy is growing, so our proportionate size um, is declining very slightly. So, so your number is 190,000 people because uh, the number I had, and this was courtesy of the American Federation of Teachers, they had an increase yeah. of 135,000 people joining unions mm-hmm. last year. So it's, it's right. The net, the net is 191,000 according to the Bureau of Labor Statistics. Yeah, individual okay. unions have grown. Some have shrunk. They're netting it all out, and that's what they come to. I got gotcha. you. Altogether, altogether, there's 14.4 million union brothers and sisters working in America. And here's the crazy part. I talked about this at the top of the show. 29% of that figure, almost one out of three, live in two states, Bill, California and New York. Yeah, that's (laughs) for the highest union density, right? Yeah, yeah. Well over 10% in those states, but it's, you know, South Carolina, it's 1%. Right, right. So, well, actually, yeah. actually, they're a little bit better. They got over two percent there. And, okay, uh, ever, <laughs> thanks. For ever that. since, ever That's since correct. Nikki Haley left, they started increasing. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> but uh, I got to do a shout out here to our listeners in Hawaii. Hawaii number one at twenty four point one percent. That is yeah. They've always density. had high union. I think Alaska has pretty high union density. I don't know off the top of my head what it is, but yeah, New York and California. You know, they're blue states. The legislatures support uh, unions. The governors tend to support organizing. Um, so yeah, so it's a little easier to organize a union uh, in New York and California than it is in, in South Carolina or Florida or Texas. Yeah. No doubt. No doubt at all. All right, my friend, you take care. Bill Samuel, Government Affairs Director of the AFL-CIO, AFLCIO.org. We'll talk to you next month, okay? Okay, look forward to it. All right, we're going to take a quick break. Coming up next, International Association of Machinists, Local 1363. They're on strike. We'll tell you why next. This is America's Workforce. It takes Lyuna to keep America running. 
Over 70,000 public employees are part of LIUNA, the Laborers International Union of North America, delivering critical services such as healthcare and emergency response, as well as maintaining roads and sanitation systems. Even the National Postal Mail Handlers Union, representing over 47,000 U.S. postal workers, is affiliated with LIUNA. Find out what it takes for LIUNA to keep America running at LIUNA.org. That's L-I-U-N-A dot org. Are you an experienced mechanical insulator looking to take your career to the next level? Insulators Local 50 in Central Ohio has steady work for a number of years. Insulators Local 50 offers a total wage and benefits package that can't be beat. It's not just the competitive wages. Local 50 also provides medical, vision, and dental insurance with no paycheck deductions for you and your family. Don't miss out on the chance to secure your future. Join us at Insulators Local 50. Earn great pay and the best benefits. Visit insulators50.com forward slash AWF50 to fill out the online form and a Local 50 representative will call to begin the process. America's Workforce is brought to you in part by the United Steelworkers. You can find more at usw.org. America's Workforce appreciates our sponsor, the Columbus Central Ohio Building and Construction Trades Council, who represents more than 18,000 workers from 19 affiliated local unions and district councils. America's Workforce is brought to you in part by the Iron Workers. You can find more at ironworkers.org. Union members need to be heard. Reliable and convenient union voting has never been more important than it is now. Make voting easy for your membership by working with survey and ballot systems. SBS offers encrypted and monitored solutions that ensure your elections are accurate and accessible for every member through mail-in, online, and in-person voting. Visit surveyandballotsystems.com and take the next step in getting secure and auditable elections. America's Workforce is presented by the Labor's International Union of North America. Feel the power right now at liuna.org. Now, back to America's Workforce. Here's Ed Flash Ferens. And remember, you can check us out on Facebook or follow us on X, formerly known as Twitter. That would be a WF Union podcast. By the way, this next segment brought to you in part by the North Coast Labor Federation. All right, let's go to uh, line number two. Welcome another newcomer to the show. His name is Bob Towsley. Bob is a business representative for Local 1363 of the International Association of Machinists and Aerospace Workers. Website is local1363.net. And uh, he's a lifelong machinist. We'll talk about that. But the big story is a strike at Valley Ford Truck in Valley View, Ohio. This started in the middle of December and uh, it's still going on. Bob, welcome to uh, America's Workforce. Thanks for joining us today. Let, let's get a little history on you. How long have you been uh, a machinist now in uh, in Local 1363? So thanks for having me, Ed. Um, I've been a machinist in Local 1363. This year will be 38 years. 38 years. Well, congratulations to you. I see you previously worked as a trustee in the local, then a union steward. And uh, right now you're a business rep. Um, talk to me about what's going on there, because uh, it, it's not necessarily about wages, is it? You are correct. Um, so what's going on there is we started the negotiations the end of May, uh, negotiating two times, three times a month, sometimes two times a week. We've met 
I, over a dozen times. Um, and it's got down to the, uh, what we're trying to protect is our retirement security. Um, back in 2019, the uh, company exercised it right. It's right in some language it had from a, in the contract if the, uh, to withdraw from the pension fund that they were in. And in that language, it also stated that the contribution rate would then go into a 401k. Uh, later in 2019, we negotiated um, some increases in that. That's up to $3.30 an hour now that goes into the 401k directly for each of these guys. Um, and we're at the table, and the company wants our $3.30 in wages. They say they have to put it in wages to make it their off make their wages look competitive. So they want to take that out altogether then, right? Correct. They want that $3.30. They want to put it into the employees' wages to make the wages look more, bit larger to, uh, mm-hmm. to attract people. And then their proposal is that you can get into the uh, company 401k. I see. Well, when you say they're, they want to attract people. Are they look? They're on, is there a shortage right now? They're looking for workers there at uh, Valley Ford Truck. Um, so there's a, a huge uh, lack of talent out there for automotive and light truck and heavy truck technicians. It's a national problem. It's not just at Valley Ford Truck. Um, yes. So Valley Ford Truck is looking. Tells us they're looking to build a new building across the street and in during negotiations told us they're planning to hire 20 to 30 more technicians. I gotcha. Yeah. You know, this goes back years. Uh, we've talked so many times, especially with the trades about shop class, you know, they eliminated that. And I remember when I was going to high school and I'm not going to tell you the years here, but uh, there was an auto tech class and you basically, it was a vocational program you went through that program, you got out and you got a good job. And, and we're, you know, when you're an auto tech, you're making some, some pretty good money today, aren't you? Uh, you can make a respectable living being an automotive technician. That is for sure. But let, let's talk about this pension now. Uh, correct me here. Didn't you at once have a, uh, like a defined benefit? Cause there's defined benefit plans and then there's defined contribution plans. The contribution plans are the 401ks. Didn't the machinists have the defined benefit? And you mentioned that year 2019. Is that when things started to change? Yes. So we did, they were in a def, the IAM pension plan, which is, a, as you say, is a defined benefit plan. Um, and I believe they've got at Valley Ford Truck, that shop was organized in 1964. So probably somewhere in the late 60s, they started with a defined benefit contribution. I see. In 2019, like I say, late 2018, and it went into effect January 1st, 2019, they had language that if the fund fell below a certain funding level, they could exercise their right to withdraw, pay their withdrawal liability, and get out. And how did that go over at the time? Was there pushback? Uh, There was some pushback, but the way it was written, it was in the middle of a contract here, so... There wasn't a lot that could be done about it, but yeah, that was definitely, we just definitely had some pushback. We sat down with the company, tried to, you know, explain this, you know, this is what the guys want. And, you know, um, they lost a couple of guys over that. A couple of guys left because of that. And they went to shops that had continued to have the pension. 
Sure. I mean, you want that retirement security. That's what you work for your entire life. Makes sense. So, Bob, how many people are actually on strike right now? Do we have a number on that? Uh, we have 24 people out on strike at the Valley Ford truck. And, and it's it started last month. Was that uh, you took a strike vote and um, the company was aware that the worker is going to walk out? And also, what's going on? Are they bringing in other people or are there people crossing the picket line? So we started December 18th is when the strike started. The company gave us the last, best, and final. We voted the last, best, and final on December 18th. We took a strike vote. Um, the contract went contract vote went down unanimously. The con the strike vote was twenty three to one. And at that point in time, we collected our tools and guys started loading their toolboxes and we walked out. And and how's the company responding to all this? Um, so that morning, the company. Uh, the president of the company and, and the, uh, I believe would be the general manager of that store, uh, approached our steward and one of our other guys over there. Cause guys showed up with their trailers that morning where they, they knew what they where they stood and they said, well, this has got to, you've got to get this passed. And you know, they said, well, <laughs> the guys know what they want. They want their mm-hmm. retirement. Yeah. And so the company has not brought into this point any replacement workers. It's our understanding they've interviewed some people they're trying to hire, but to our understanding at this point in time, they have not brought anybody in. So their operation is kind of stuck right now if they don't have any mechanics or machinists working on the job, right? That is correct. Okay. All right. So what about the talks here? Uh, uh, where, where, where are we? Do we have talks coming up here? Are we making any progress? Uh, we last met on January 12th. Um, at that point in time, the company had absolutely no, no movement. They removed their last, best, and final offer from the table. Um, we, we made a counterproposal at that time. Uh, we go back to the table actually uh, this afternoon, the 25th at 2 o'clock, with a federal okay. mediator again. Okay. Uh, is this the first time for a federal mediator then? No, we met on the 12th with the federal mediator. As oh, well. okay. 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 All right. Well, we'll see what happens there. Now you, you have been, I've been reading on the website here and this, this made your national website go IAM.org that Senator Sherrod Brown, along with uh, one of the representatives in Northeastern Ohio, Chantel Brown are, are throwing their two cents in and saying, come on, come on guys, let's, let's get this settled here. Um, I'm, I would imagine that was well embraced by the membership. Maybe you could speak to that. Yes, it was very well embraced by the membership. Uh, Chantal Brown was actually down to the line the third day of the strike. She was down there uh, December 20th and stood with the guys. Uh, Then uh, Sherrod was just out here on Monday. Uh, The guys really were impressed. Uh, You know, everybody was telling them, oh, yeah, you know, Sherrod, it's just going to be a a quick five-minute photo. You know, it's just a a press thing. And, uh, no, Sherrod stuck around. He was there a good 45 minutes, shook everyone's hand, talked to the guys, um, wanted to know what the real, you know, issue is and, you know, make sure he understood the issue. And Sherrod has sent the employer a letter, um, you know, asking him to get back to the table and telling him that, you know, what they were asking for he thought was unfair. Yeah. Now, there's one more thing I'm reading, and this is the uh, what they call the guarantee 
currently your agreement has a 39 hour per week guarantee. And I guess in their last best and final offer, I've heard that line many, many times, they wanted to reduce that to 35 hours per week. Now, now, Bob, explain this. To, I mean, where's the common sense in this? If they need, you just mentioned at the beginning of the interview that they need workers here. Why would they cut this down? I, I, that doesn't make sense to me. So, Garen, the automotive field is paid what they call them flat rate. Uh, the manufacturers set a establish a time for each repair. Um, let's just quick quick example. Let's say a starter motor play, pays an hour. Um, the technician replaces it in eight tenths. He still gets an hour. It takes the technician an hour and a half to replace it. He still gets an hour. Well, as you can imagine, we live in Northeast Ohio. Things are a little different than they are in when you're working on a car in Florida or California. We have that thing called rust. Uh, it makes the job much more challenging. Um, so we have always had in the negotiating contract and the automotive contract some type of guarantee. It used to be a 40-hour guarantee, basically, so you got paid for every hour you were there, essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, the dealerships have come after the guarantee repeatedly. Valley happens to be currently sitting at a 39-hour guarantee, so you could potentially work 40 hours and get paid 39 in their last best and final offer, um, in a rolling calendar year, if you were to what they call draw guarantee, they could reduce you to 37 hours. Um, and if you, in the rolling calendar year, used guarantee five times, they could reduce you to 35 hours. But so you're you actually could, working more than that, though, right? Absolutely. You could be working 40, 40 hours plus for a 35-hour guarantee. So do you like working for free? I don't know many no. people that do. No, 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 no. Yeah, I, that, that you're going to keep that mediator pretty busy, buddy. There's no question. There's no question here. All right, uh, Robert Towsley, he is a business rep for Local 1363 of the Machinists, International Association of Machinists and Aerospace Workers. The local is uh, 1363. Website is local1363.net. And this did get the attention of national goiam.org. So good luck. Keep in touch with us on the, on this, uh, the mediation talks. And hopefully it'll be eventually resolved. They need the workers. They want to keep moving forward. And that's, uh, that's what they have to do here. Okay, brother? I appreciate you, brother. Have a great day. All right, that'll be it for another edition of America's Workforce. Coming up tomorrow, the Brotherhood of Maintenance Way and the United Steelworkers. Until then, all of you have a safe and wonderful day. That concludes another episode of the America's Workforce radio podcast. Thanks for listening, and be sure to subscribe so you never miss a show. America's Workforce is a production of Labor Tools and BMA Media Group. Find out more information online at labortools.com.